Good morning. I am so glad you're here. I have a story to tell you. Maybe it's a confession. I have fell asleep during the prayer at Moraine Valley Church. You know, that may not be very traumatic to you because actually, you know, there's a few of you that probably need to nudge every once in a while here. But let me tell you why this was so traumatic. Well, I was 28 years old, and I was a youth pastor at Moraine Valley, and it was a Sunday morning, a normal Sunday morning, and, and people started coming in, and they started filling up the main seats, and then the mezzanine started filling up, and the balconies started filling up, and, and we began to praise and worship God, and it was a terrific time into God's presence. Well, there was until the pastoral prayer. My good friend Bill Mills was going to pray. But before I tell you why this was so traumatic, at least at this church, the platform was really high. And on the back of the platform were all these chairs. And what would happen, at least during these celebration times back then, is that all the pastoral staff would sit up on these chairs. And so what would happen is that when we sang, we would all sing. And when we prayed, we would all pray. And so we were sitting there. Folks had just sat down after an amazing time with God. And Pastor Bill gets up. We all bow our heads. And that was the last thing I remember. I cannot tell you, but Bill, I'm sure the prayer was good. I know it was long, but I am sure it was good. The next thing I know, all right, everybody is standing and singing, and as I open my eyes and try to be cool, I knew we were at least in the second stanza of the chorus. I reach over for my hymn book. I stand up, and I start singing. Oh, my word. I knew something was missing at that time. I wasn't tuned in. I didn't think much about prayer. And sometimes prayer seemed just really long and archaic. But when you're at a church and thousands of eyes are looking at you, somehow you get shaken up a little bit. You know, I think many of us struggle with prayer and even at times fall asleep during it. So when we struggle with anything in our culture, what do we do? We ask an expert. We get a book. We hire a coach or a tutor. Or we go to YouTube. You can basically learn just about anything from YouTube. You can learn how to knit. You can learn how to decorate a cake. You can grow tomatoes. You can skin a deer. You can change a filter. Just all these experts are just available to us at just a little click of our mouse. So today what we're going to do is ask a prayer expert. We're going to learn how to pray. But before we dig in, I need to give you some background. You see, Jesus lived about 33 years on this planet. During the last three years of his life, Jesus gathered disciples and began to teach them about the kingdom 
and demonstrate to them the kingdom's power and authority over evil. Religion had a death grip on the Hebrew culture at this time. People were applauded for their public religious performances. And that actually even meant prayer. Prayer had spiraled downward and become long theatric productions and public displays of piety. Prayer was ritual, ritual, um, had rituals. Um, it was orchestrated. It was memorized. It was repeated. Jesus was different when he prayed. He didn't put on a show. It was more about the intimacy and the power when Jesus prayed. We know that the disciples were enamored by the way Jesus prayed because it was the only time they asked Jesus to teach them about anything. We find this in Luke chapter 11. Now, I'm not sure this says a lot about me or it says a lot about the disciples. But if I'm hanging out with Jesus and he is walking on water, he's multiplying the bread, he's healing people, well, of their blindness and of their lameness and raising people from the dead, my guess is I'm not going to be asking about prayer. I'm going to be asking about those things. But the disciples didn't. You see, I had never seen Jesus pray. I've never understood the relationship he had with his father. But we know one thing out of any, anything they could ask. They asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, I'm not sure why talking to God is such a struggle. But if we're honest, many of us would say, you know, I, I, I could do that better. I'd like to grow in this prayer thing. Well, let me put it this way. Do you remember when you asked, teach me to talk to girls? I know not every one of you asked that. And I know you would never even admit asking that. But there was a time in your life when all of a sudden you wanted to interact with girls differently. And so you asked the question. You didn't want to end up being a nerd. You didn't want to, well, talk to them like you had always talked to them. This was different. This was special. Th this was something you wanted to do well. Now, hopefully you didn't talk to your older brother, all right? Hopefully you didn't learn on how to talk to girls from movies or TV. Like, And if you're in my generation, it would probably be the Fonz. You definitely don't want to learn how to interact with girls from the Fonz. But the truth is, is that it required a different language. If someone who is kind to you kind of talked to you and says, you know what? If you're actually really interested in her and you treat her with respect, I bet things will go well. <laughs> Whoa, who would have known? It was as easy as that. We all need right coaches in our journey. We all need to ask questions at the right time. Well, Jesus was the perfect coach, perfect teacher. As rabbis often would, he would sit down the students. And Jesus did that. He sat his disciples down on a mountain meadow. And in the middle of the longest recorded sermon, 
he teaches them how to talk to God. Today we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer. Actually, it probably should be called the Disciples' Prayer or the Pattern Prayer. But we're used to calling it the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to do that. I'm also going to be using a very familiar text, a text that so many of you grew up with, so many of you have recited, so many of you have, um, well, see, see this as near and dear. You know, we're really good at making the simple complicated. If I were to go on to Amazon, which many of you know I kind of like Amazon, all right, but if I were going to go on to Amazon and I wanted to get a book on the Lord's Prayer, over 100,000 books would come up. If I went to Google and wanted to get some wisdom from the great worldwide web, and I would Google the Lord's Prayer, I would get over 6 million hits on where to go. Well, to be quite honest, I don't think Jesus intended that, intended prayer to be that complicated. If you would, would you stand with me now? I'd like to read together our text for today. It's found in Matthew 6. And I realize that even in some of your traditions, you might use trespasses instead of debts, but, but we're going to try to use a text that's probably most familiar familiar with everyone. Read with me. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Would you be seated? Jesus literally starts off. He's got the guys all around him, and he says this. You need to pray like this. Actually, this is not even a suggestion. This isn't, hey, if you have some time, why don't you kind of uh, mimic me like this? He's saying, hey, guys, I want you to know there's one way to pray. And this is how you pray. It's very strong in the original language. Then he says this, our Father who art in heaven. Our Heavenly Father denotes a relationship. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, every time that Jesus talked to his dad, he would use this intimate term, Father. It was over 70 times. The only time he didn't use Father when he was talking to his dad was when he was on the cross. And he shouted out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, effective praying begins with the relationship. So many of us scoot to the last part of this prayer. But it was very clear that Jesus had a relationship. This is a challenge for us because we are sinners. Sin stifles our relationship with a holy God. 
In fact, as soon as I said the word holy, that scares many of you. Holy is, well, best understood as clean or as pure. God is clean. God is pure. We sin and we dirty up the works. You see, if we understand who God is, most of us don't treat God, well, in a cavalier way, in a casual way. We don't understand who God is and therefore probably see sin a little bit different than God does. We put sin in categories. Well, that's a little white lie. Or that's just a little problem. Where God says that literally separates you from me. You know, in the prophet, the prophet Isaiah literally had his whole image of God change who he was. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah writes this. It was in the year of King Uzziah that I saw the Lord. He was sitting in a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, then Isaiah said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of kings' armies. You see, we cannot connect with God with sin in our lives. And mostly because we don't understand who God is. But when our eyes are open and we see his majesty and we see his purity, we understand immediately that we can't really go in the same room. You see, if I lie to my wife, my human relationship suffers. You know, my communication is completely different. If she knows that I have lied to her, the only way that Sharon and I can reconnect is for me to repent and to confess. A simple lie just stops communication in this very important human relationship. It's really no different with God. The good news, though, is this, is that even though Jesus Christ recognizes that we are separated because of our sin. He desires deeply to be reconnected. You see, that's why God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. He loved us so much that he wanted to reconnect us. He knew that our sin needed to be taken care of. Our debt had to be taken care of. And so Christ went to the cross willingly because of his love, to shed his blood so that our debt might be paid. Many of you have come to faith. Many of you have trusted Jesus as Savior and as Lord and have recognized that you've been separated from God from the beginning because of our choices. But now you've been reconnected. By your faith, you've become a son or a daughter of the Almighty. And that's a good thing. But the problem is, 
even sons and daughters still sin. We love control. We love being in charge. We wonder whether God really is smart enough or understands enough or recognizes what the cultures or what is happening in our culture. And so what happens is that we sin. And sin breaks that relationship. It doesn't mean you're not a son or daughter, but it means you actually can't talk with God. So many times we, well, cry out to our God. And we don't recognize that he can't hear us. We can't come boldly into his throne room. We've got sin in our lives and we need to confess it. The Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The good news is, is that we can name our sin. We can come to God, repent of our sin, and get reconnected. You know, oftentimes we feel that our prayers are so futile. But I think it starts right here. Is that we see sin differently and need to confess it. You see, the truth is, is that sin never thwarted Christ's relationship with his dad. Christ never sinned. He always was in constant communication with his father. But for us, well, repentance and confession is a daily thing. In fact, Martin Luther said that that repentance is a daily activity for every believer. Well, I don't actually want to argue with Martin Luther, but I think what I'd like to say is, Repentance is more of an hourly activity for every believer. I guess I'd just like to ask you this. When was the last time you actually confessed any rebellion that you had toward God? And if it's been some time, my guess is maybe your prayer life has been a little bit thwarted. Effective prayer may be as simple as confession. Well, then Jesus jumps into his pattern or his model prayer. There's two parts of this prayer. Part one is all about God. Part two is about us. And he starts off praying this, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. You see, God's name is about his identity and his reputation. Hallowed is not a normal word. We oftentimes don't use that term. But hallowed is probably a good word. We don't hallow many people. Halls are often hallowed. Rivers are often hallowed. But people are usually not hallowed. When you hallow someone, it means that you honor and that you fear and that you respect and that you revere them. Hallowed starts at seeing God clearly as king. We've often had this conversation around here that we struggle with this whole God is king thing. We all love control. We all love being in charge. We all really enjoy, well, being our own person and not submitting to any authority. Well, God's different. 
God is the king of kings. And when we see God clearly, we recognize his wisdom. We understand that he has only the best for each one of us. And we fall down on our faces in awe and in wonder. You know, this happened in the first chapter of Revelation. The Apostle John was put on the island of Patmos. And, and, and this was during the last part of his life. And God gave him a vision of himself. And in the first chapter of Revelation 1, you can read that, John saw God in this dream. And it says that he falls on his face as if he were dead. You know, no one would ever be casual in the presence of an earthly king or a president. We would make sure that we addressed this person well. We would be sure that we dressed appropriately. We would learn all the different protocol. And to be honest, this is just a man or a woman. But Jesus, the King of Kings, sometimes we're just so casual. We don't understand who he is or treat him the way he ought to be treated. You see, when God is hallowed, we worship him. Brian started off our time today welcoming you and encouraging you to adore our king. And I know in worship, sometimes we look at the beat or we look at the words or sometimes, you know, we wish we would go a different direction. Or this song, holy schmoly, if we sing that thing again, I'm going to vomit, you know. Can you imagine we hear those types of things? The truth is our God is amazing. And sometimes the only thing when we see God that comes out of our mouth is holy, 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 holy. Oh, my word, God. You know, we want to grow here. We want to model well. But hallowing God means we need a clear view of God. Jesus is praying that God would be clearly seen and that the world would honor, fear, revere, and worship. Then Jesus prays three words that literally should rock your world. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. You know, Jesus ushered in the kingdom when he came to this planet. Yet the fullness and the reality of the kingdom is yet to come. This is confusing for us because as you read the Gospels, you'll hear that Jesus preached the kingdom of God is here. But we also know that it's not totally here yet. God's reign was visible in Jesus. We saw that he went around the countryside preaching the good news, proclaiming that those who are captive and oppressed are free, healing those with sickness and even raising people from the dead. Jesus is praying that the king would rule and reign in our lives so that our world would better reflect his kingdom more today than it did yesterday. You see, Jesus described the kingdom all the way through his Sermon on the Mount. And remember this Lord's Prayer, how he taught the disciples, is right in the middle of this long sermon. 
So Jesus basically was describing people that live underneath God's reign, God's rule, like I do, guys, well, this place would look really different. You see, in God's kingdom, the meek and the humble and the merciful would be heroes. There would be less hate because hate is as ugly as murder. Those who live underneath God's rule, well, there would be less lust because lust is just as harmful as adultery. Kingdom people would actually love and pray for their enemies and leave revenge completely up to God. People would focus on eternity more because they could store up treasures for eternity once they get there. People would be less self-focused and more kingdom-focused. You know, this is a great place to camp. But it only happens when we come underneath God's authority and rule. We need to trust God and give Him control of our lives. You see, Jesus is actually praying this. I want more of this. I want more of this kingdom stuff. God, I know what it's like to live with you. And I've been teaching these guys what it's about. I think, though, that Jesus was also praying eschatologically. We all know that when Christ was here, and even now, as we live underneath God's reign and rule, our world changes. Our homes change. Our neighborhoods change. Our world will change. It will be a better place. There's no doubt. But there's still a whole lot of evil. There's still a whole lot of deception. There's still a whole lot of pain and tears here. And what I think Jesus is also praying is, I want you to return. Jesus isn't praying that, well, he's praying this as a model. But he's asking, he's saying, you know, you disciples, pray that I'm going to come back soon. That I'm going to restore well, all of creation the way that God intended for eternity and forever. You see, Jesus was praying the kingdom come now and the kingdom come later. Then he said this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I actually think this is just an exclamation mark. He really is saying, may earth reflect heaven just a little bit better. Would you reign and rule and would it be more evident? It is certainly a prayer for social and cosmic redemption. Then part two focuses on us. And Jesus literally switches some gears. He prays this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, if we understand our relationship with God, we are so dependent upon God for our needs. Some of us are deceived and think that because of, well, our brains or our passion or we have thing, you know, money in the bank because we're really good businessmen or we have really good jobs because we know how to interview. And you can go on and on and on. But you know what? Life is so casual. Jesus starts off and says, you know, give us what we need today, God. 
Give us what we need physically. Give us what we need emotionally. Give us what we need spiritually. Because you know, God, in this journey, I don't know what, well, flies around the corner. I don't know what my health is going to look like. I don't know what my marriage is going to look like. I don't know how my kids are going to turn out. Lord, I need you. Would you fill my tank? And then he said this. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, we don't normally speak like this. We don't call our sin trespasses, and we don't call our sins debts for the most part. But actually, this is how God sees sin. The appeal to God for forgiveness is rooted in our forgiving others. God models for us what forgiveness looks like so we can forgive. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote his letter to the Ephesian church, he was describing what it looks like for people to live underneath God's reign and rule. And at the end of chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this, And be kind to one another, forgiving one another, just as I, or Jesus, have forgiven you. I think one of Christ's amazing statements was on the cross. And he literally talked to his dad and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Out of all of his words, this one is the hardest for me to understand. Jesus literally is on that cross, not even looking like a human being, because of all of us were the people at that time. And the words that come out are not hate, they're full of vile. If ever there was time to call down and, and ask his father to kind of zap a whole bunch of people, that would be the zap moment. And he says, forgive. If we don't forgive others, it shows we're not forgiven because forgiven people forgive. You know, it was hard for the disciples to understand this. Peter himself, you know, usually the, the spokesperson of the group, asked Jesus in Matthew 18, and said, Jesus, uh, how many times do I have to forgive someone? I mean, really. There's a few people that I have in mind, and they're just acting like jerks, and you know what? I'd like to stop this whole forgiving thing. And Jesus looks at him and says, I, I, you don't get it. You never stop forgiving. You can't even count how many times you're supposed to forgive. In fact, let me tell you a story, Peter, because you're a little dense. There was a king, and as he looked over all of his subjects, there was a man that owed him millions and millions of dollars. Well, he called him in, and the king asked him and says, Hey, look, I, I think it's about time you need to pay your debt. You owe me millions and millions of dollars. Pay up. <laughs> the guy goes ballistic. He's crying. He falls on his face. He says, king, 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 king. I can't do this. This is impossible. I cannot repay you. This is way too much money. And the king says, okay, I forgive you. Your debt is uncovered. Have a good day. Whoa, <laughs> Whoa you know, he's shaking his head. He's trying to figure out what's going on. He leaves. The scriptures say he goes to a friend of his, 
who owes him a couple thousand dollars. Grabs him and says, hey, dude, I need the money. Pay up. This guy does just about the same thing. He gets on the ground. He's weeping. He's crying. I can never do this. Please have mercy on me. And the guy who has just forgiven millions of dollars says, hey, you know what? I can't wait. I need the money. I'm going to toss you in jail. And then when you finally get it, I'll let you out. <laughs> so the guy who got, well, redeemed millions of dollars is a little bit arrogant. D doesn't it kind of make you mad? Doesn't it get you riled up inside? Says, what is wrong with you? And that's actually what Jesus is telling us. He goes, do, do you get it? Do you understand how offensive you've been, wager? Do you recognize all the sin that you've committed? You are so arrogant at times, Rick. Why is it that you can't forgive someone the couple thousand dollars that he owes you? Wow, it hooks. But in the Lord's prayer here, Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, it's hard to casually pray these words now. In the kingdom, loving people forgive. Those who don't forgive, they're really not kingdom people. And then Jesus says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, you know, this actually is a little bit of a confusing part because it almost sounds like God himself is someone that kind of sets you up and uh, he's going to uh, kind of, you know, present a situation for us. And, and so don't lead us there, God, so that we fall. Well, in James 1, we find out very clearly that God doesn't tempt. God has no evil intentions. There's no evil in God himself. This is all about God's rescue and protection from evil. You see, to Jesus, spiritual warfare was very real. He recognized that sin is attractive and is deadly. He also realizes that the enemy, Satan, is powerful and deceitful. You see, what Jesus prays is, hey, God, would you rescue us and protect us from evil? He almost prayed this exact same way in John chapter 17. Jesus was just about to be crucified, and he was praying a prayer to his dad about his disciples and about his disciples' disciples. Actually, it's us. And this is what Jesus was praying near the end of his earthly life. He said, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. Later on in that text, I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, Father, but to keep them safe from the evil one. You see, we depend upon God for our daily rescue and protection. Then most of you traditionally would end the Lord's Prayer something like this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's a great ending, but Jesus probably didn't pray this. 
None of these words are in the earliest manuscripts. But they all have good foundation. This is almost a repetition of David's prayer in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. So these are good words, probably just not words that Jesus said at the end of his prayer. So Jesus modeled for us how to pray. He taught us the basics. And just like when you're first talking to a girl, and you're pretty awkward, and it feels really weird, I think that as you practice, you get better. And as we practice talking to God, we get better. Now, granted, prayer is not about mindless reciting of words. But there is some value in tradition. Let me share this with you. Is that really from the, from the first 2,000 years after Christ died, the church, for the most part, repeated the Lord's Prayer. In most churches, it was done every time they met. In homes, it would be repeated up to three different times a day. Then it came the 20th century when we got a little bit more casual. We didn't want to get formal, and we didn't want religion to kind of take over or strangle us. You know, the truth is we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I think it's good to be able to recite the Lord's Prayer. I think it is a pattern prayer. It is a model prayer. We, learned, we need to learn from this. But I also think if we understand what it's about, it is a good thing to say. Scott McKnight, a current theologian, he says this, and it'll be up on the screen. You can follow while I read. We learn in repetition of this prayer to yearn for God's glory and for God's name to be held in highest honor. And we learn to long for God's kingdom, not ours, and for God's will, not ours, to be done. Then we learn to yearn and ache that each person would have sufficient food, that each person will find reconciliation with God through forgiveness of sins, and that each person will be protected and preserved by God's grace from sin's snares and the evil one. When we are done, our desires have been reordered to God and to others. And in having those desires, we find ourselves as God made us to be. Beings designed to have proper loves. That is the love for God and the love for others. So, as we close our time together and as we continue our worship experience, I'd like you to dream with me if you would. What if our community right here would start off with a dynamic relationship with our Lord? our Heavenly Father, our Creator, our King. And that our prayers would begin to reflect Christ's heart and attitude. It would all start with some amazing changes in us first. But it would soon ripple out to everywhere, every place that you and I go. Life would be so very, very different. And you'd like camping there. Let's pray. Father, it seems a little 
awkward to be talking about prayer and not actually talking to you. There's so many things, I think, that are milling around in our minds. And yet we need to start just with you as our dad. I want to just say thank you for your passion for this relationship. I don't deserve that. There's not one in this room that deserves that. But but you desire more than anything to be part of our lives. We thank you. We know, Lord, that you are working. And we recognize, God, that, that you will work, whether we get on board or not. Lord, we want to be part of that. We want to experience your power and your authority in our life. And we want to represent you well. May you receive honor and glory in all that we do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.